Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Well, Dan, thankfully, it's not every day we have to say goodbye to a champion of religious freedom. But today we're going to remember a friend, a mentor, and a man of God who was passionately committed and and very effective in defending religious freedom. And here to do it, my good friend Greg Hamilton, president of the Northwest Religious Liberty Association and also a a friend uh, and mentee of, of Elder John V. Stevens. Greg, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Thanks a lot, Alan. So John served here uh, in the position that, that I've now held. He served here for 20 years and was really quite an impressive national figure in championing religious freedom. Tell us a little bit about John from your memory. Well, I'll never forget the first sermon I heard of his uh, at the Bakersfield Hillcrest Church when I was about 15 years old. The guy got up there. He probably had a stack of uh, five uh manila folders full of notes, articles, everything under the sun. And he just started pulling out one story after another. And it was really interesting because it was really unorthodox way of preaching. And his style just, you know, was amazing. I mean, he would get out an article, then he would share basically the essence of church and state and the proper parameters of church and state and the whole um, but the whole importance of religious freedom. But he would speak with such conviction and clarity. I mean, he just, I mean, he just wowed his audience. I mean, he was, I mean, John Stevens, if there was ever a man that I ever knew that was like uh, this guru up in the sky or an icon that just, you know, loomed out at you, you either liked him or you didn't. I mean, it was John Stevens. And um, he was a very... Um, I wouldn't say intimidating. He was a very kind and gracious man um, on a personal level, but in terms of his ideals and his views and his beliefs, his convictions were as rock solid. I mean, he's a kind of guy, like a general, you would follow him to to hell and back, if you please, if that word can be used. Um, John was a general. He was a leader, and he was, I mean, people listened when he spoke people listened. And he took me under his wings because I, at 15, I just, I I told him how much I appreciated his stands and how much I would like to eventually get into religious freedom advocacy and and ministry. And uh, he gave me all kinds of ideas, but he suggested that the best route was ministry, pastoral ministry. And then, you know, if you can incorporate law later, uh, that's great. But um, And that's exactly what I did, and that's partly thanks to you, Alan. Uh, you were an inspiration, a big inspiration in that in terms of my career. And so both you and John uh, had a great deal to do with my, um, my uh, career path and success. Well, it's wonderful for me to hear your stories about John. Uh, recently, I've been preparing some remarks for his memorial service, and I did uh, some research in the legal databases, because John founded an organization called the Council on Religious Freedom. Correct. And for the 20 years or so that he was at the helm of Council on Religious Freedom, this organization appeared consistently, filing friend-of-the-court briefs, filing cases 
all the major religious freedom cases nationally and very consistently upholding religious freedom. And I think one thing that's very interesting our listeners might be interested in is he would defend religious freedom for groups that were unpopular, for minorities. He really took his principles to heart. I don't know if you have any recollection of of some of the groups that he stood with, but I I can recount some from from my research. Well, as far as groups, no, I can't. I just know his ideals. The focus, you know, his focus uh, was heavily um, slanted towards uh, the constitutional separation of church state and the protection of that, and very much against uh, what you hear among historical revisionists in the evangelical world, whether it was Jerry Falwell in his heyday, Pat Robertson, Francis Schaeffer, um, on and on, and today's David Barton. And, um, you know, in terms of his uh, his newsletter that he put out, and that's what got my attention the most when I was growing up, um, was his newsletter called Undercurrent. And it was a, a slim piece of paper, um, folded in three, and it was an update of key quotes and events that were happening that exposed this constitutional revisionism and the origins of it, which, you know, I, I'm not here to Catholic bash, uh, but clearly uh, what he was demonstrating at least that's what I got from him. When I asked him, I said, I noticed a trend in your newsletter. And he said, yeah. And uh, I said, tell me if I'm right. And I, I shared it with him, how that, how I perceived that, that John Stevens believed that um, this evangelical revisionism was very much following a Vatican II mandate um, of their definition of religious freedom, which was totally to be Protestant historic Protestant view of the constitutional separation of church state in the United States. And uh, it's based upon John Cardinal Murray's um, document, Dignitatis Humanae, at Vatican II, which for the first time the Catholic Church uh, recognized religious freedom. Yay for them. That was great. But nowhere in the document does it, and it's purposely silent, when you read all the articles in First Things Journal, the conservative uh, Catholic journal that uh, Richard John Newhouse, the the founder and pioneer of the Christian right and the Catholic Church, you realize that basically the, the Protestant evangelicals followed uh, the lead of really minimizing the constitutional separation of church and state, and thereby started coming up with this revisionist view about the founding, about how the constitutional founders, uh, you know, didn't intend the constitutional separation of church state. All they intended was to establish or, or to prevent the establishment of a national church. And that's it. That's all. In fact, they would even go so far as to say, like uh, deceased uh, judge and failed Supreme Court nominee, Judge Robert Bork, to claim that it's all right, as Justice Scalia essentially does philosophically, that states have the right to establish state churches. And there's a constitution that forbids that, and et cetera, et cetera. And it's that kind of revisionism that John exposed continually, and he had to read carefully to really understand where he was going. But it, it took me a while. It took me many years. But uh, when I asked him that, he says, that's exactly my point. So he was like the pioneer of exposing that nonsense way back uh, in the late 60s and early 70s, or whenever he came on board. Yeah, And I believe that was and the 80s. early 70s. And 
that was just incredible um, insight and foresight. So for me, John is the epitome of pioneers in religious freedom. And in terms of Seventh-day Adventist religious liberty advocacy, I can't think of anybody more um, uh, greater in terms of historical legacy uh, than in, in religious freedom advocacy than A.T. Jones or Alonzo T. Jones and Dr. Burt Beach, in, in my estimation. You know, during John's tenure, the primary assault on the separation of church and state had to do with securing various forms of public funding for religious schools. Yep. And John worked very closely with uh, the attorney Lee Boothby, who did the legal work for Council on Religious Freedom. And I remember Lee telling me one time uh, about how easily the Catholic universities had secularized because it did not deliberately attempt to retain their religious character, and uh, they pursued lots of government funding. And John understood mm-hmm. that. If we lose the battle over keeping government funds out of religious schools, we're going to lose our religious schools. That the separation of church and state is fundamental. We can't become dependent upon government money. The golden rule still applies. He who's got the gold makes the rules, and we lose our independence. Well, that's especially in regard to dependency, dependency on government funding. And John also knew that once uh, religious institutions depended on that money, they would also then, instead of uh, just being weakened, they would also uh, be strengthened, on the other hand, to make more demands of government. And so that creates a, um, how should I say it, an empowerment of the evangelical movement, both within the Catholic circles and Protestant circles. So, yeah, but the, it, it's, there's two ways to look at that. And... Um, um, he was aware of both sides. And, of course, today, now, we have uh, the doctrine of neutrality, so-called, and our audience may not know exactly what that means, but neutrality in terms of the Establishment Clause or the so-called uh, Constitutional Separation of Church and State Doctrine um, is under major attack right now. And it basically says that the government is to remain neutral towards uh, religion and religious institutions and not to... Um, not to uh, support or or to uh, lend their support uh, per se, uh, if if it involves direct funding as opposed to indirect funding, and the indirect funding has to do with whether um, it involves uh, at least today's definition of neutrality, whether it involves um, funding to. Uh, uh, private and, and religious schools and institutions such as hospitals. So, Well, the funding issue was a, a major issue that they dealt with, but they also dealt with some of the symbolic issues. There were a number of cases involving creches, for example. But, you know, Council on Religious Freedom that, that John Stevens founded also vigorously upheld the free exercise of religion, which is something that Americans today, I think, are becoming... Um, uh, ambivalent about protecting for everybody. We want free exercise of religion for ourselves, but we're not so sure that we want Muslims or Scientologists right. or some other group that we don't know who they are or don't like them. You know, we're not sure we want their rights to be protected. 
Yeah, absolutely. He was very much that way and uh, very fair-minded. And, uh, you know, his um, emphasis on religious freedom for all, not just um, not just the favored, uh, certainly was an emphasis. Um, you know, his background is just incredible. Uh, having spent um, many years in pastoral ministry, uh, in evangelism, uh, serving as uh, president of the Arizona Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, uh, where the number of baptisms in churches planted nearly doubled during his tenure. And then during that time, or perhaps before that, I'm not sure about this particular fact, he served as Arizona Senate chaplain. That was actually a fact I didn't know prior uh, all these years. I, I had no idea. Um, and then his challenge through Council on Religious Freedom, which was amazing when you think about it, his challenge to vigorously pose on First Amendment grounds President Ronald Reagan's appointment of the first permanent ambassador to the Vatican's Holy See in 1984. I mean, that's huge. And he got a lot of flack for that. He got a lot of flack for a lot of positions that he took that were unpopular, but he was a man of principle, and he didn't necessarily weigh the political impact of, of following religious liberty principles. Um, that's one of the things that made him so remarkable. I think that uh, John Stevens will be forever remembered in a fond way by me, and, and um, I will always appreciate him and his family. And I think John also had a huge impact beyond the narrow confines of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Our guest today, Greg Hamilton, president of the Northwest Religious Liberty Association. We've been remembering a fallen colleague, uh, John V. Stevens. Well, thanks, Alan. And as we close... We want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we continue the work of helping those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let Freedom Ring. <laughs>